Welcome to Unbound Turnarounds, a podcast all about the challenges women business owners think about constantly, but rarely voice. We're Nicole and Mallory, entrepreneurs, friends, and co-founders of Business Unbound, a community helping women alleviate the headaches, heartaches, and backaches so work actually works for life. This is your safe space for the ups, downs, and the turnarounds. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to season two of Unbound Turnarounds. Nicole, how are you faring today? I'm doing all right. I've gotten to exchange a couple messages with you this morning about all things business and life, and that's always a great way for me to start my day. Yeah, me too. I do enjoy our little check-ins, whether it's video, audio, or texting. Yes. We do it all. We do it all, don't we? As a reminder, so we are in season two. We've already said how many times we love this season, but just a reminder for anybody, if this is your first one of season two, season two is about different aspects of our well-being because it's critical to our success as entrepreneurs and frankly, to our happiness and fulfillment in life. So before we get started, I do want to put out a trigger warning. If depression is a triggering topic for you, go ahead and skip this episode, scan through some of our other season two episodes for other ones that may be something else you'd like to listen to today instead. Today, our guest will be sharing her personal journey with depression as a solopreneur. So that is a way for us to kind of help others feel seen and connected. And we think that's really important. So we're really super grateful for her being vulnerable and sharing that with us. Yes. So thank you. Today, we are chatting with Tori Pintar. And she is a photographer working with families, couples, and brands, and she's been doing it since 2008. So late in 2019, she was actually ready for a new challenge, and so she began a second endeavor, a marketing and web design agency. And through that, she supports small businesses on the road to meaningful success without sacrificing their heart and humanity with one-size-fits-all marketing. And I love that so much. She is an avid runner, usually on the trails with her partner and border collie. She's also a recent convert to backcountry skiing from inbound snowboarding. And she always has her head in at least one book, usually cookbooks. So we are really just honored to have you here and to have you be open about some of the hard things that we know a lot of women in general, but also women entrepreneurs face and it usually doesn't get talked about and we want to change that. So we thank you very much for being on the show. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. Okay, Tori. So get us started by talking about how you got into photography, actually, because we are an entrepreneur podcast first. So let's talk about how you got into this space because it's been a huge part of your professional life. I think mostly from the start. Is that right? Yeah. As far as owning his business and yeah. having like an actual career, it's the only career was my first career really. So Okay. So how did you know that you wanted to do that? I didn't really set out to start a business. I struggled in college to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. And then I took a gap year after college because it was the only thing I knew that I wanted to do next, really. And so I moved to England and got a special visa that was available at the time so I could work there and plan to do like a round the world trip working and traveling. And as many of us know, when you travel, you take a lot of photos. But bear in mind, this is before I felt that. Yes. So I'm older. And, and I had a point and shoot camera and I spent a lot of time. A, because I didn't have any money with my point and shoot camera walking around and taking photos. And I found that I really enjoyed that because I just, I'm not the photographer who's like, oh, I've had a camera in my hand since I was three. That is not me at all. Mm -hmm. um, this is definitely a later in life, but it was something I fell in love with. And then after living abroad and I returned home is when I fell into wedding photography initially. Because of digital, it had changed so much. And there was so much more photojournalism and it was more accessible because film is and was still very expensive. And so it was, you know, easier mm -hmm. to develop those skills with digital and the photojournalism, the like emotion of it and capturing people and everyday people in raw and real ways really, really, really appealed to me. So it started with travel 
but I didn't really want to be a travel photographer. I wanted to be a wedding photographer. So this actually brings me to a question I had about how photography makes you feel, because I think when you don't set out to do a particular career, if you're not like, I've always wanted to be a doctor or I've always had a camera in my hand, there's something about discovering that thing kind of in the beginning that makes you feel a certain way. And it tells your body and your brain, this is maybe something that's good for you. So I'm curious how, if you remember kind of back in the beginning, how did photography make you feel either while you were overseas or when you were doing it back home in wedding situations? What did that feel like? It's funny that you asked that question because I have some vivid memories. The way I worked around the world and what I did to make money until I ended up starting a business was through waitressing. But then I came to Montana after living abroad, sort of continuing the theme of I'll just move to cool places. And the restaurant I worked at hadn't embraced Facebook yet and wasn't using it in their marketing. And I started taking some photos for them. And so they were like, oh, free labor. Of course, you can do this for us. Yes. I mean, not free. I was being paid. So they're like, well, we have this thing going on tonight. Will you take some photos? And I have vivid memories of when I would pick the camera up and do that, feeling like this is what I was meant to do. Mm. And it was like a full body kind of thing. And I haven't had that with I mean, I like so many things so, so, so much, but that was the first time I'd ever felt like, you know, what I want to do with a career Mm -hmm. feeling, whereas I just liked a lot of other things. And I was like, this is what I should be doing. Um, Yes. Wow. What a good sacral knowing right there that I love Mm -hmm. that you had that experience, but you could have taken it, you know, photography and ran a different way with it. You could have joined an existing studio or worked as an in-house brand photographer, you know, back in the day. So how did you weigh the pros and cons of starting your own business? Did you know that's what you wanted to do right from the beginning when you started photography? No, I didn't know I was starting a business. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, I I don't know how this happened. (laughs) I actually went to work. I did work with another photographer, but I was a contractor. So I ran everything through my own business and contracts and whatnot. And that was to protect their brand. Mm -hmm. And it was really good experience, but it did get me a lot of work. And I did support them with some office management and whatnot. That was how it wasn't even like I was really making a choice. I guess I was making the choice, but I didn't know. I met him and I knew he was like the photographer in Montana. And I also loved his style. And, you know, his were the images that I would look at Mm -hmm. at night. Like, oh, I want to be like this person Aww. when I grow up. And so, but I didn't even like think about what it meant that I was going to be. I didn't even know what a contractor was. I didn't understand these things at all. Mm-hmm. I had no idea that I was starting a business. I didn't even know like, oh, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. Nope, had no idea. It was just I wanted so badly to take wedding photos and be invited to people's weddings that I was like, whatever. I just focused on what I knew would get me there. And because I liked his work and wanted to learn to produce more and more like that myself and find my own style, when I met him and I learned he was going to open a little, like he was looking for someone to help him, I was like, you're going to hire me. So I was like, I'll I'll work for free. (laughs) That's a hard offer to turn down. (laughs) You have to do that in the beginning sometimes. I mean, I'm I'm not an advocate for working for free, but I know in the very beginning, So what was the leap then to going out on your own and having your own company? Well, I was always sort of built in. I did everything under my name. So technically it already existed. That's true. I think it was just a natural progression of growing and evolving. Both of us reached a point like where we were changing our businesses some. And he was even actually at one point going to move away from photography. And his life, personal life was changing. And at the time I had already hired a business coach separately. So... It kind of happened, luckily, mm-hmm. in a way, sort of naturally. Like it was still somewhat of a hard transition because more so just like personally, because we're such good friends, too. Yeah. And like just embracing change and the unknown a little bit. But it really and truly wasn't in my mind. It was more of a transition than it actually was because of the way things had already been run. And I was so autonomous. Like he never reviewed anything. Like so it was just different in that we were no longer in a sort of partnership, I guess. I think that's 
also, you know, some people think, well, I have to go out into business and I have to do it all at once and make it this big leap. And what we've heard several times over the seasons is that you can baby step it, right? You don't even have to notice that you're starting it, right? You kept that a really good secret from yourself. (laughs) And, (laughs) but... You know, you don't have to make this giant leap all at once. And especially depending on how we're wired, that may not be the best way to do it for us, right? I mean, I did the same thing. It took me about a year to kind of make that transition. And because that was better for me and kind of the way my little anxious brain works, which does bring me to, I've talked a lot about in my episodes of wellness and the very first episode of the pod, how... My life with anxiety was a really big reason that I ended up leaving corporate and going out on my own. So that was a big decision point for me. And so for you, I'm really curious when you found depression kind of showed up in your life in a really noticeable way. And was that something that you considered during this kind of gradual transition to be like, you know what, maybe for my life and the kind of life I want to lead, is this going to be better for me? than going to work for someone else? It's not something I ever really considered early on. My relationship with depression, it's been something that's been present since I was in college. But I think because that now is almost 20 years ago, what we know and how we talk about all of that and our understanding of it is so culturally and personally different because there's a lot more information. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't something I had really, and I didn't even know how at that point, like how recurring it would be or what it would look like in my life. So it wasn't something that I had considered. But since now that I know a lot more about myself and I have had stronger bouts and like I understand, Mm -hmm. for lack of a better word, what depression can look like for me in my life. It is something that I've sometimes actually considered, like, would I be better suited with maybe more stability or like just getting a salaried paycheck Mm -hmm. or some of those things? I have considered it from the opposite angle of Mm -hmm. would it be better for my mental health to not be self-employed? And I haven't arrived at an answer at that. I mostly come to, I think it's like that phrase, wherever you go, there you are. I would bring some of those things and Mm -hmm. I don't know if it would resolve the underlying issues. Right. Um, And I think something you might have written or whatever about why for you it's important is that I do really appreciate the luxury of when depression is very serious and I feel like I can't really get out of bed Mm -hmm. that I can make that choice. Yes. But on the other end, I also feel like sort of it's a double-edged sword where I know something that I have to do is force myself into doing all these Mm -hmm. normal regular things because they help tremendously. Right. So, yeah, that is very much a double-edged sword. And I feel seen by that too. I always say that the flexibility piece is one of the biggest things for me. I think there is another side to that though, that even I don't usually think about, which is sometimes having more structure keeps you focused on other things right? Or getting out of the house and going to an office, things like that. And it may be for some people that means renting a space that they actually go to or going to a co-working space and getting a membership, things like that. Like there are ways that you can still structure working for yourself to deal with some of those challenges and having the flexibility to do that. But I think it's really important to just look at it from both sides and say, you know what, not everything about this is going to necessarily make depression or anxiety easier, right? Sometimes it may make it a little harder. And just being willing to kind of look at that over and over for a lifetime and improve incrementally how you're doing this. So I definitely, definitely resonate with that. And I think because it ebbs and flows, right? So like many women or people, humans with mental well-being challenges that we all face, it kind of can come and go. But it sounds like you said you've kind of over the 20 years with this challenge, maybe identified some ways that it shows up in your life. And if you're willing in the spirit of helping people feel connected and like they are alone, are you open to talking about how it shows up in your life and how it affects your work as an entrepreneur? Yeah. You know, it's changed and evolved. I just recently had 
about a depression that kind of surprised me because I'd had the longest period in a while. The last time I had a stronger period of depression was in right before the pandemic started. And then, well, there was the pandemic. So that added a lot mm-hmm. of fun things yeah. <laughs> to all of our lives. And I'd gone through a period of, so I guess if this was this fall, that's three plus years of without, like, not that mm-hmm. I didn't have mental health ups and downs, but it wasn't the kind of yep. debilitating where it is hard mm-hmm. to function like a normal person, mm-hmm. <laughs> whatever normal is. Uh, normal isn't the right word. Yeah, I just, you know, the will to participate in life decreases significantly. I want to sleep all the time. I mean, this time it was so bad that it was like being alive is painful, and which is sort of hard, a hard thing to explain if you've never experienced it. But I remember sitting on the stairs on when it was really bad, talking to my partner and I'm asking him, I didn't blame him. Like, it's so crazy that just being alive, nothing is wrong, mm-hmm. like physically can be so incredibly painful. So, yeah. But for me, the key indicators of something is off typically starts with sleep, appetite, and wanting to do things like I don't really play games on my phone, but I'll like start doing like weird or like not wanting to go to sleep. Like I'll want to mm-hmm. either go to sleep or before at the beginning, I'll want to like distract myself with a bunch mm-hmm. of random things. So, yeah. well, and I'll, I'll say, I think I told Mallory this, but when we were reading through some of your notes, I was just like, I cannot wait to talk to her because I feel so seen in this moment and I feel like maybe she needs to hear that this also happens on the anxiety side of things because it's been very similar for me where you'll go through these periods of times like years at a time I would also say for me since 2020 and then you suddenly end up in a place where you're like I kind of thought I was past this like I thought maybe I was past this and then for me it makes me doubt whether I even have the tools for it. You know, if I've ended up here again, did I somehow not develop all the tools that I thought I did? And so for me, like 2023 was that time for me and it was awful. And you say, you know, being alive is painful. And I would say my version was like, being alive was just frightening and feeling frightened all the time when nothing has happened is a really tough place to do your job from (laughs) to be a good friend, a good partner. And especially when nothing specific has happened, really, it's a tough thing to explain, right? But it's something that a lot of us do understand. And so I want to make sure you feel that you're not the only one going through that either, because our timing really kind of aligned on this. (laughs) And I was like, oh, yes, exactly. And it's something where every time you come to it, you come to it in a different way, right? You come to this particular bout with 20 years of experience doing it. And so even though it can feel like you're back in the same place, you're really not in the same place because you're coming into it and living it with a 20-year history and success rate of dealing, right? And the same for me, which is what I forget to tell myself, so I'm telling you. And (laughs) yeah, so just know that it is something that definitely happens to a lot of us. And if for listeners, that is something that has happened to you too, just know that we're there with you in this moment. And it does make working and living with the same level of joy that you normally have really hard. So one of the things that I can find myself doing is telling myself that I need to like appear fine, right? And that's a really almost a triggering thing for me because anxiety and depression are invisible. And to most people, you know, you just look fine, So I'm curious, you know, if you have an approach to discussing depression in a professional setting, whether it's with clients or, you know, if you never do that, and that's fine too, you have your own boundaries. But I'm curious, since it is something that people wouldn't outwardly see, you haven't broken a leg, you're not in a cast, how do you navigate that in your work? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. I also think something else that you said that about feeling like when you like you've moved past depression because mm-hmm. you have so much experience with it 
something that I wanted to highlight about that that was different about this experience is when I went through, when I said during the pandemic, a really difficult time, something that I learned in that experience finally, and it was part of like probably my overall health and wellness journey is I finally stopped treating depression as something I needed to cure and realized that I'm pretty sure probably every human experiences depression at one point or another and probably multiple times during our life. That probably really and truly is normal part of the human existence. So instead of like treating it as something I had to fix, I think that was a big turning point for me. Yeah. And my experiences have taught me that it is something that ultimately, at least thus far, I've always been able to move through. Mm-hmm. And, and every time it looks different and maybe the tools and the kind of help, I like, do I need to see a therapist? Mm-hmm. Like those things may look different, but it was nice because I didn't feel like there was something wrong with me or yeah. I was blaming myself or mm-hmm. like, like you said, like, how did I end up here? I didn't feel like, oh, I had done these things or if mm-hmm. I had just done my daily meditation and written in right. my journal and whatever you're supposed to do before you wake up, right. like then this wouldn't have happened to me. I, uh, it all I could have been solved with a journal. <laughs> yeah. So this fair, very, very, very much, even though there were like other factors in my life that contribute why this was bad, it also to me was like, oh, this is just an example of this might just be like the mm-hmm. way that my genetics and Mm -hmm. or whatever it is that predisposes because I was like this is really intense and I'm surprised (laughs) yeah 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 totally well and so when it came about again recently how do you deal with that in your work when your work is largely weddings that are not going to get moved and you know things with shoot dates that people or clients are going to show up and if you're having a day where the depression is really, really strong, how do you manage that? Yeah, I've never had an experience where I felt like I couldn't show up to a photo mm-hmm. shoot. Mm-hmm. I think I don't I know that that could happen to mm-hmm. me or someone. And I think part of that is I know that I need to do this and I want to do this. And mm-hmm. even though I'm depressed, I feel enough of a connection to self-preservation that mm-hmm. I still care about things like my clients and my reputation and following through on these things that are a big deal. And so that is a part like I still have that connection, even when I'm in pretty dark places. Yeah. And so I think that's important. So that is what helps me to do the thing. Mm -hmm. I also think separating myself from feeling depressed, you can, you know, feelings are facts. Right. I don't want to go do the thing, but often I feel better when I go do the thing. Mm hmm. But at the same time, I also now give myself a lot more grace and sometimes accept that during these periods, my capacity yes. is much less. And instead of before trying to keep the capacity the same, I've gotten a lot better being like, I can only do these three things. Yes. And then I might not even do those three things. And maybe I end up behind on things and that's not great or ideal. But I am just a person trying to figure everything out. <laughs> yes. And so, and you brought, you asked how, if I share this with clients and I do, I mean, some of my clients I've worked with for years who are on the marketing side of things and we talk about mental health. And so mm-hmm. I will sometimes tell them it depends a lot on how I'm feeling. Often it is when I'm feeling more distance. Like when I was mm-hmm. saying that I was sitting on the stairs and feeling I could be, like being alive was so di- I wasn't talking to my clients then. Sure. I didn't have enough space. In fact, like I think shortly after is when you sent me the questionnaire for this. And I was like, I can't fill this out right now because I don't have enough distance from it. And so that's a boundary for me of learning. I have to be in a better place to be willing to discuss these things. Mm-hmm. But for me, it's important to talk to clients about it because I, like I mentioned, especially the marketing side, they're all having to go through the same things as me as business owners. And I think it's important to see examples where you don't feel like you have to appear as fine as you said, Mm -hmm. because I think that's a a very unrealistic standard. That's a big part of our culture, but like many cultures that encourage this like strong face, Mm -hmm. hide all this stuff. Yeah. And I, and that may be something that is their ways of boundaries. 
But I have learned that that is not how I work in the world. That was probably something very important to learn because my upbringing was very much more like you just kind of hide everything. Well, and I think at that period of time, too, right? This was not a discussed... I mean, I didn't even have words for anxiety when I experienced it originally. It just wasn't a topic. So that can be pretty lonely at the time. But I think it's important what you're saying about making your own boundaries, whatever those look like, and knowing that your business, just because it's yours, doesn't have to be the priority. There are ways that you can just kind of downshift a little bit during these times and show yourself that grace and realize, you know what, I don't have the same capacity this week, this month, whatever. And that's fine. It's fine. Business isn't going anywhere. It's yours. It's not going anywhere. (laughs) So I do, I do appreciate that, especially. And I hope people do hear that and really think hard about their own boundaries and their own management of their energy during these tough times. Mm -hmm. Love what you're hearing? Business Unbound online courses help you implement the ideas from this show and change how your company runs in big and small ways for the better. Our courses are meticulously crafted packed with tactical tools and solutions, and designed to help women genuinely enjoy the day-to-day business journey. We've poured insights from our collective 13 years of entrepreneurship and work with more than 100 clients into every course. And the good news is that we're just getting started. We're on a mission to unite women entrepreneurs who understand challenges, loneliness, and vulnerabilities of running a business. And we want you to be part of it. Visit unboundboss.com to browse our course library. We cannot wait to join you on your journey. I think anybody who struggles with these challenges and quite frankly, anyone who doesn't just in life, we have to develop kind of a toolkit of or a tool bag of Mm -hmm. tactics and things just to get us through some of those hard times, no matter who you are. So I'm curious what it's like. Well, one, how do you know that you're coming out of a bout of depression? What is that like? And then what are some of those tactics that you use personally to help you get past where you currently are? Yeah, for me, I can tell that things are changing because I start to feel a sense of actual joy again. And like I can see things like when I say I can see things as in I knew this was bad because like I would look at the sun said or like look at the snow here and these things that normally bring me some joy even if like I'm having a shitty day or things Mm -hmm. aren't so great or whatever or like oh I have this disaster project or whatever Mm -hmm. I would still be able to be like oh the snowfall or like oh that bird like you know these little things or I'm just my cup of hot coffee so great those Mm -hmm. like are strong indicators of my emotional and mental health So when I can start to like see and connect to those things again, that's how a clear indicator that things are improving. I just feel a general like a little bit more. Everything is a little more tolerable. There's a little more lightness, like the weight has literally come off. I would say I still feel the effects, but I do feel that lightness and like a little more hope and joy Mm -hmm. again right now. It's funny, like I do definitely have some things, but... I don't even do some of the, like, it's not that many things. It's often doing less in general. It is going to the one thing in this recent experience was I really like to cook a lot. It's really, Mm. it's something that I do to unwind. I like it because it has a beginning, middle and end. I have a strong connection to food and where it comes from. Like, I like to have a garden in the summer. Mm I guess I'm that modern cliche. Yes. <laughs> Be a home She's getting chickens soon. Yeah, I would really yeah. like some chickens. No joke. This is, this is, I was going to say, this actually reminds me of Lorca's episode. And Lorca right. has a little farm. But yep. Lorca did say, but she did say one of the things in, to build resilience or in tough times was one of the three things was taking space. So I'm not surprised that these things are lining up. Yeah. Yeah. I normally cook, but in the last few years business and like become a little obsessed because I started a second business in like that being successful, especially financially, which is something I've been like assessing. Mm-hmm. And so I haven't cooked as much because I felt tired and like I don't have the time. And that's very unlike me. And so recently I was like, I'm going to cook things yes. even if I don't really want to. And it's not bringing me the joy. And usually 
that process might give me a little joy at the end or at least a sense of I accomplished something. Mm-hmm. So that's beneficial. Another really important thing for me is going outside. In fact, I've thought about tattooing that onto my arm because oh, sometimes yeah. you can, especially if you're self-employed, you can just stay inside all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you don't have an office somewhere you need to go to or I don't have any photo shoots or client meetings or anything. Yep. And just a little bit of going out, even if it's on a short walk. So yeah, I made more of an effort to just go outside. Um, yes. So those are two really key things for me. And I think you've mentioned movement too. What does movement play in this role for you? Yeah. So it's funny. I was like, when we were talking earlier about needing to appear fine and like still functioning during this period where I really was not doing so well, I still yeah. managed to train for a marathon, which I think is okay. amazing. Sure. Sure. <laughs> Maybe that wasn't the hard uh, thing for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, which I like training for. It wasn't the first one or anything. Yeah. And it's something that I've kind of like become this roadblock thing of like, I would like to requalify for Boston. So, and I'm a very stubborn person. Ooh. So this okay. stubbornness was showing through. But I also know that part of the reason I just kept doing it, even though I definitely wouldn't say I took a lot of joy in the experience, mm-hmm. was because it was something I'd committed to and seeing it through, mm-hmm. I yep. knew was overall beneficial and at one point I had thought about maybe stopping and I talked to my partner and he's like, I think you really want to run a marathon. And I was like, I wish you had said I don't have to do that. <laughs> right? You're like, the answer I was looking for was uh, let's just like not do that anymore. Yeah. Um, but what so. I like about this is that part of your tools, whether you realize why you were doing them or not, was kind of going through some of the motions in a productive way of things that you held on to from before that made you feel joy or feel like yourself, right? And that's a big one. And even if you're not doing the things to get the same amount of joy right then, like it's still creating that muscle memory, right? And it's still waking up those muscles that remember what it was like when you felt joy doing that. Right. Like you cooking reminds your brain and body that you enjoy cooking, whether you feel that in the moment or not, like that does that for me, it's, you know, grooming a horse or riding and that can take me out of, you know, just really like get me in the present moment of being like, oh yeah, like the smell of the barn, the sounds here, like the feel of my horse. These are all things that remind me of who I actually am And those are so helpful in those times when you're like, what am I even doing? (laughs) What am I even doing? And sometimes work is not the thing to dive into, right? And that's okay. Sometimes it's not working and giving yourself on grace and saying, you know, the thing I need to do today is cook dinner. (laughs) That's what I need to do, right? I need to go brush my horse. That's what I need to do today. So yeah, yeah, I think that's important. Well, you also bring up that, like those things remind you. I think it's important to know that sometimes you do the things that are good for you and they don't in the moment create mm-hmm. the result you're hoping for, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't keep doing it. Right. Like when running was newer to me, is in like the way I treat like I'll run now, it's like a practice in my life. It was mm-hmm. easier no matter what I was feeling to go run for 90 minutes and it would not fix everything, but give me space and distance. I mm-hmm. run so much now that sometimes I can even do a long run and I can still end it really anxious. And, yep. you know, and I've been running for three and it's like, how? But it's because I'm more accustomed to it. But it doesn't mean yep. I still didn't get a, a world of benefits. Mm-hmm. It's just part of like a lot of things that are not always pleasant. Yeah. <laughs> and that's just part well, of existence. You know, and like talking to your partner about it, I think that's a key piece is that community piece and the support factor, which Mallory and I talk about a lot, is you know, those people can also remind you of who you are and what you like and the things that are good for you. And so a lot of the times it's just trusting someone else to be like, you know what, if he says that I really do want to do this, I'm going to trust him in this moment. That's probably what I want to do. So I think that's a good thing to just call out as well. Now, there have been, from your notes you shared with us before the episode, so there's been some other challenges and hard times in your life outside of the depression. 
And I do want to give another trigger warning here. If disordered eating is a trigger for you, please go ahead and skip the rest of this episode and catch us next week. So Tori, you'd mentioned you'd be open and sharing some of your challenges that you faced with disordered eating, if you're still open to talking about that. Yeah, I think it's actually very common. Some studies say that like probably about 70% of women and in general humans, regardless of gender, especially in our culture, struggle with disordered eating. It's considered kind of a lot of the advice we're giving around health. A lot of it could be considered disordered, but it's considered mm-hmm. normal and healthy, even if it might actually be counterintuitive to true health. Yeah. So I struggled with that just in like the probably the more normal way, but through depression, <laughs> depression. <laughs> I won experience about seven or eight years ago. It really affected my appetite and I really leaned into that and my body changed rather drastically. But it, simultaneously, it's when I was, was seeing a therapist, I had gotten back into running and realized that running could be a tool for supporting my mental health mm-hmm. in like this activity that I do for my overall health and well-being, whether or not I want to do it. So it's kind of funny that at the same time as I started to alter my body and change my behaviors drastically in that way, I got into running for myself and not for the way it made my appearance look at mm-hmm. first. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the time, I just thought I was being super, super healthy. And that was when I trained for and completed my first marathon. I did way better than I thought. Everybody commented on my appearance and how great I looked. And I got super into even more into cooking, but into like healthifying everything. And I just thought I was just doing everything right. And then over time, and this is common in cases, experiences like mine, what I was really experiencing and learning after so out of control because of depression, I suddenly was feeling so in control and I really like control a lot. Mm-hmm. And I became really fixated on that. But what I didn't realize is that I was basically beginning to kind of starve myself um, in my attempts to always be so healthy. I wasn't eating enough food just in general, but also considering the amount I was exercising. But based on all the information and feedback I was seeing about like how you're supposed to eat as like if you want to be this really good runner, I thought I was doing all the right things. And yet I was really hungry and not feeding myself. And then I started to become obsessed with food. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize that was a sign of actually when you're not eating enough food, that's what your body does to protect Mm -hmm. itself. Yeah. So I learned all these things gradually, but it was a very difficult time once I realized that things had gone, how deep it had gone to where like Mm -hmm. I couldn't focus in conversations because food noise was so loud. It was very debilitating. I actually worked a lot less that time. Unfortunately, I had a lot of savings. And I didn't even really know or understand. And I did end up getting help from nutritionists and whatnot and learning. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that was very challenging. And it's something where what I liked that you shared there was that you a little bit overcompensated for the thing that you really want, right? Which is control over your mind and body. And I think we all want that. I do. And sometimes the pendulum can swing too far the other way to where something that was healthy and a good thing to focus on becomes too big of a focus, right? And then swings back to unhealthy or unproductive or unhelpful. And that's just something to be aware of. It's not, you didn't do anything wrong. And, you know, for me, it might be swinging too far into like trying to make everything safe and predictable, and then stripping the fun out of my life, you know, because you go all in on the thing that you think will make you feel better and all the better if it's told that it's healthy, right? If society tells you you're doing a great job and you're getting this sense of control, well, what could be better until you realize, oh, I've actually taken this too far now. Well, it's just too far. Yeah. And I'm curious why you think culturally, like I think we've talked about this actually this season with the nutritionist, Heidi, about just the cultural lessons that we're given and 
how we even treat each other as women commenting on appearance that maybe we don't realize we're doing. And so how have you found that that impacted you during that time or since, right? Like this culture still exists. You're still living in it, but you're clearly dealing with it in a different way now. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the, I think what part of like giving up the control and all, there's so much that goes into it. I would say there was a small period of time where I clinically would have been diagnosed with an eating disorder mm-hmm. and not just disordered eating. But there's all this stuff that is literally happening in your mind that it goes way beyond just what you hear from the cultural pressures. But like part of the healing part for me was letting go of control of my body. And we are taught that we can 100% control exactly what we look like and we should Mm -hmm. just be able to adhere to X diet and you can look X way. But what I had learned, uh, especially through like the lens of intuitive eating, which is the route I went for finding a way through, is my body has a way where it's sort of happy. And it's Mm kind of decided that. And we all have that probably realistically. There's theories behind this, like set weight theory that we all are kind of innately have that and it looks different for everyone. So I think what's challenging is if you culturally were told thin is best or strong or whatever it is for that month. I, I mean, I think for me, one of the groundbreaking things was I had always thought that if I work do X, I could always change and control everything. And suddenly someone has told me that actually, no, my body has its own version of what is healthy for it. And you can't actually change that no matter what you want to do, or you can, but the side effect of changing that Mm -hmm. is that your whole life is going to be stolen from you because you're going to be obsessed about what you're eating and doing, and you won't be able to like partake in normal things because you're so busy. So those are your two choices. Yet culturally, like it says that actually the real side effects of trying to make your body into what it doesn't want to be, they say that that doesn't exist. That's not real. That's like a lack of, if you just ate X diet or did this or whatever. I think that was probably why one of the hardest lessons is accepting that there are realities in place beyond just your own willpower and whatever else you want to say. Well, and that if you really focus on that and you are more intuitive about it and your body is happy you will be happier, right? And accepting that. And by trying to constantly be something else, that's not happiness. That's not filling you with joy. And so, you know, not being at war against your own body or your mind is the best thing that you can do. Something else to me that I took away as a parallel to like the small business culture, especially the women's small business culture about this like control piece and that is there so much advice and there's a lot of courses and there's all this stuff that's like, you can accomplish anything. And I'm not saying that you can't accomplish anything, but it does negate that oftentimes, and this has changed a lot since 2020, but like the privilege piece. A lot of times this is affluent white women talking or negating that you have all like people who are struggling to find shelter and food and like the basic Mm -hmm. necessities and they have education and they have a family to fall back upon or fret like you know these things Mm -hmm. like to me it made me be like not that you can't still achieve so much and accomplish a lot but there are these real things and maybe not everything is overcomable like for instance depression that might Mm -hmm. be something I am always having to live and deal with like Mm -hmm. it really struck home for me that Not everything is in my control, which, yeah, we're told all the time, but we're kind of also told if you do all these things, then you can circumvent this whole we're not in control piece. And so it made me think too a little bit differently in the business space and like, you know, maybe my problem isn't that I didn't manifest well enough or whatnot. Mm -hmm. Not that there's anything wrong with manifesting, but also at the same time, we take things to such extremes. Yes, I'm totally following you for sure. You haven't heard Heidi's episode by the time we're recording this, but by the time this episode comes out, it will have been the episode before yours, but she does talk about intuitive eating. So I like drawing that parallel back to a way to guide people through that is from the dietitian. And now from personal experience, it seems like it might be a good avenue for people to explore if they're interested in learning more about that. Now, I'd actually like to say something else about it, even though this is not a question from you. Yes, of course. Because I wrote this 
in my survey, but intuitive eating is also not perfect. There is no perfect solution for anything. But I will say by learning to actually feed myself well, I cannot believe how drastically different, even if I'd never had like the serious issue with disordered eating. Mm -hmm. I am so grateful that my relationship with food looks like it does now because I got the amount of energy we as a culture spend obsessing over what we're eating or how we're exercising or what we're doing. It is like astronaut. It takes up so much of your energy. And so the most part, I just eat food depending on what sounds good to me. And I know mm -hmm. these sound like such simple, basic things, but I cannot tell you how much time and energy it gives me back. And when I like listen in conversations with friends and whatnot because it's everywhere I feel so much gratitude that it is like simpler and I feel so lucky that I discovered and it was very 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 I could say more very difficult <laughs> to learn to intuitively eat and trust that my body could figure it out and I will add I think it was easier for me to accept because culturally I still have a very acceptable body for what is considered. And I think that made it easier. I was like, sure. yeah. oh, I mean, I didn't look like what I imagined myself. So I want to add that caveat because I do think that made it a little easier. But I just wanted to say this because I think about it all the time with my, my business. I'm like, oh, I don't have to think so much about this. I can yes. do other things with my time. That's yeah. huge. And that's something that we actually also talked about this season with uh, Lorca about resilience, which was just learning to reharvest energy in the places that you didn't realize you were abandoning it, which is, I think, what you're describing really eloquently. And it's something that I'm also thinking about. And I know Mallory does too. She has a busy life with two little kids and two hamsters and a husband and all the things. And we often just kind of abandon our energy in places that don't pay us back. And it's finding those pockets and then reharvesting it. And you'll, you know, like you said, that's just transformative to the way that you can be as a human, be as a friend, be as a partner, be as a business owner, because you're not just giving it away to things that don't serve you. And so listening to your body and listening to your mind and saying, you know what, where am I wasting valuable energy that I don't have to is such a huge thing. And that's something that I think every listener can relate to and honestly should take a hard look at mm -hmm. and just find one thing, one place that you are abandoning energy that isn't serving you and just commit to reharvesting that. I mean, that's my whole first business is about... <laughs> brain space, creating mm -hmm. more brain space. It's not related to life stuff, but it's related to business stuff. You know, this is the same way. So what to kind of add on to what Nicole said, yes, do that. But also you can look at your business and think, where am I yes. losing energy and what I'm doing to make the business function? Is it something I need to personally be doing? Is it something I have the resources to hire out? Does it even need to happen anymore? Is it fulfilling the long-term goals? Can I make it more efficient with systems? Can I gain brain space there? So there's places where maybe we can do that both in the professional and in the personal setting. Yes. And there was another question that I heard on a podcast recently. And he said, basically, think about the times and situations where you thought, I want this to go on forever. I wish I could do this all the time. And to really focus on what was going on, who was around, what were you doing, what values were you exercising? And that was just a really, I don't know, it seems simple when you say it, but I heard it and I was like, that's just a great mind exercise that I should, like I should be writing that down because there are times when you feel that way and we just kind of let them pass and if we really wrote them down, like I think there's a lot of patterns that we would see there in how we can make life more joyful just by paying attention to our own bodies and minds. Like that's the whole point of the season, right? Is just paying deeper attention to yourself than you are to the culture, the expectations, or even your own goals that maybe aren't serving you. So just think about the times when you thought, I wish I could do this forever and write them yeah. down and look at them and say, what does this mean? That's a good segue into our fun closer. I know we probably you have more you'd like to talk to her about, but in respect of everyone's time, it leads to 
we were just talking about noticing the joy. So Tori, for your fun closer question right now, what is bringing you joy and wonder in your life? Well, I think in the spirit of often when I am not feeling depressed, I feel like quite a failure at pretty much everything. And I second guess everything. And I'm like, what am I doing? I do everything wrong. I know no one else out there in the world ever has yeah, these thoughts. Right. No, it's Brain only you. Only you. Depression is actually, it's all located in one person and it's you. <laughs> but right after Christmas, I like to bake and I like to bake with sourdough, but I never made sourdough baguettes. And mm. I decided finally, because we were supposed to travel for the holidays, but then a family member got COVID, so we didn't go. So I was kind of stuck at home. Not stuck, but... I felt like that, oh, we were going to do something. We're not doing something. What am I going to do? And I decided to try making sourdough baguettes, and they turned out better than I was expecting. Mm. And for all the like negative thoughts, I delivered them to my neighbors in the morning. Mm. And as I was like doing it, walking through the snow in my slippers and my pajamas, <laughs> like I was like, okay. This is an example of doing something right and maybe also something yes. to pay attention to because this is what's making me really happy and feel alive and connected and like community, like all these things matter. And I'm like, this has nothing to deal with. It's not because I made a baguette. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, that's not really it. It's more that I wanted to share something I did with people and I didn't even know one of these. I just met one of the neighbors and... They were like, I don't know, like that taking that risk of, here, do you want a baguette that I'm handing to you? Yes. So that was something that brought me a tremendous amount of joy and, and reminded me, like, like you said, figuring what are the things you wanted really more of in your life? And that I'm mm -hmm. in my business. That's what I'm asking myself a lot of lately, because I feel like I've been chasing some things that I'm like, hmm, I'm not seeming to find more peace. <laughs> right. Yes. Is this filling me with joy? No. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I think that's a perfect example of one of those things that we should be writing down and saying, this was a moment where it was so great that I actually recognized it in the moment that I was loving it. And to just put it on a piece of paper, put it in a jar, write it in a journal, somewhere that we can go back to and say, here were such good moments from this month, this year, that I want more of and how do I get more of those? Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important. So thank you so much for your openness and for talking about some tough topics, but ones that, that women really need to hear about and men too, frankly, and that we want to be out there more so. Not that people shouldn't, you know, try to keep doing what they're doing, but you don't have to appear fine all the time. And I think that's an important lesson. So thank you so much, Tori, for coming on. And we will talk to everyone in our next episode. Thanks for listening. Hop over to unboundboss.com to join our community and leave us a voice memo. We absolutely love hearing from you. If you like the podcast, please subscribe, leave us an Apple review, and share your favorite episodes with other women entrepreneurs. Talk to you soon.